we're going to be looking at the parable of the sheep and the goats. And um, I think you'll find it interesting. Uh, it's, a, it's a great parable that nobody likes. Uh, and the reason why nobody likes it is it talks about accountability. So as we uh, prepare uh, to hear what God has to say to us, uh, let's, let's pray and we'll, we'll get started, okay? Uh, this is nice for me because I don't have to teach today, so uh, I don't have to be out of here, you know, as fast. So we'll take our time, we'll worship, and uh, we'll see what God has for us. So let me pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for uh, those who are here and those who are unable to be here. We just pray, especially now for Gail, uh, since she is not with us today and is not feeling well. We just pray that she would recover well and recover quickly. Uh, Pray that the service honors you, Father. We pray that we can sense your presence here. And we pray, Father, that what we do in word and deed would glorify your name. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. So, ladies, would you come forward, please? Okay. You're on your own, Kristen. You're on your own. Huh? I'm, I'm out of here. No. Good morning, church. How are y'all doing today? All right. So the cornerstone of our faith is Jesus Christ. The blood he shed for us is proof that he wants us to join him in heaven. He was the perfect sacrifice made to the Father to redeem us from our sins. His love for us is perfect. Christ alone, the Lamb, perfection and majesty, fully God and fully man, Come from heaven to lift us out of the unholy mire. Thank you, Lord, for loving us and giving us the way to your side. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Won't you please stand if you can. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. Christ alone, cornerstone, we made strong in the Savior's love through the storm he is Lord Lord of all 
when darkness seems to hide his face i rest on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil my anchor holds within the veil christ alone cornerstone weak made strong in the savior's love through the storm he is lord lord of all he is lord lord of all christ alone cornerstone weak made strong in the savior's love shall come with trumpet sound oh may i then in him be found dressed in his righteousness alone for this i stand before the throne christ alone cornerstone weak made strong in the savior's love through the storm he is lord lord of all Amen. <laughs> our strength is in the lord and he is worth waiting for. He is our strength, our hope, and our salvation. Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, our prize, our God. Hebrews says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. God is faithful and he loves us. Amen. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Our God, you reign forever. Our hope, our strong God, you 
As we wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord, we will wait upon the Lord. Our God, you reign forever, our hope, our strong Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. The power of three and, and of the three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of the earth shall praise them and worship them. The hills will resound with the joyful noise made in their honor. The trees will bow and the fish will rise to acknowledge their power and might. Heed ye, praise, I say praise, Praise them and sing of their supremacy. Holy, holy, holy are the Lord's God. Holy, holy, holy. Thank you. 
Please be seated. All right. That takes me back. I grew up in St. Dominic's up in Bricktown, and that I think we, we sang that song every Sunday. It just, just uh, brings back so many good memories. All right, so would you please read with me the, the uh, responsive reading, ladies and gentlemen. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who mediates on his night and day. <laughs> that person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. All right, so... Um Godly wisdom here dis declares that the final outcome of the two ways, the way that the sinners take and the ways of the righteous. The psalmist develops three contrasts that set the righteous apart from the wicked. Number one is their way of life, their way of life. The life condition they experience like a tree, like chaff, and the climatically, climactically, and climactically, God's judgment on their different ways. As part of the introduction to the Psalter, the psalm reminds 
the reader that, number one, those who the psalm speaks, those of whom the psalm speaks, as the people of God must be characterized by the delight in God, God's revealed will. Those who stubbornly choose the way of sinners have no place among them. And number two, that God, godly piety is a faithful response to God's written directives for life, which is the path that leads to blessedness. For a prime indicator of the psalm's central theme, the first and last words which frame the whole, blessed and destruction. These are good words, and uh, in the words of this psalm, we really need to be aware that Christianity is not a religion. Christianity ought to be a lifestyle, and there's a, a big difference uh, in that. That means that our relationship with Christ ought to have an influence in how we treat each other. and. Our love, as our love for Christ deepens because in response of his love to us, then our love for others should deepen also. Um, the Bible is very clear about teaching the relationship that goes vertically first and then horizontally as we live life. And um, I'll have more to say about that. Um, the decline in that attitude in the Christian church has been noted since the 50s. A.W. Toza wrote about that. Uh, Christian missionary pastor and theologian uh, said he was uh, in New York. Uh, he pastored in that area, New York City. And he would say he walked down 42nd Street and he'd look at the faces of people that you know, would, would pass him by and all. And he would question people. You know, those, in those days, you can talk to people without any threat of them killing you. you know? So <clears throat> you know, he would talk to them, ask them what their background was and uh, that type of thing. And he said it became obvious after a while who were, who were the believers and who were not. And he came up with this remarkable finding that I find true that the believers were the ones who never smiled. How do you like that? It's like, it's like uh, uh, you know, we, we, we come to Christ and we, we, we don't even smile anymore. And that affects the way we, we relate to others. Um, you know, it can reflect anything from, I don't know what to say to people, or um, I really don't like people, right? And I know there are people who are introverts, people who are extroverts. I'm extroverted. Um, and, you know, I'll talk to anybody. I talk to people on the grocery line and, and, and all. And I realize we have different personalities. But the, the main issue is how we treat one another. Uh, and we're, so we're going to look into that today uh, in, in the parable. It's, we need to, to think about this because... We're living in a society that's becoming increasingly sterile. And you know what I mean by that? Um, we're, we're afraid to have any interaction with people because things are so crazy. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Um, you can't even tell somebody anymore that, you know, gee, you look nice today. What does that mean? 
It simply means you look nice today, right? Uh, we've become so paranoid. We've become so standoffish. It's hard to propagate healthy relationships like that. But the one thing I always have to come back to was the fact that the creator of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, loved me when I was unlovable. Loved you when you were unlovable. And that ought to be something that we keep in the back of the mind. And it ought to influence how we look at others because, you know, there are, there are people who, who will not be, how can I say this, that we wouldn't normally choose to hang around with, okay? But nonetheless, we have to follow our Savior's example. He hung around with people who were not desirable, people who were outcasts, people who were down on the social scale, and we, we can't forget those things. So as we go through the service today, I'll ask you to be thinking about those things as as uh, we get into the message in, in a little bit. Can I have a couple of people to, to help with the offering, please? Okay. Um, you know, as I'm, as I'm thinking about this, I was going over with the men at the men's group. I forget how we even got on the subject, but uh, it's interesting. Some of the greatest theological discussions that we've had in men's group center around heaven. And you can't think about heaven without thinking about how we treat others because they really do hand it, go hand in hand. And that's not to say we earn our salvation. That is to say when our relationship with Jesus is right, it will show in our relationships. So as we get to the work of the kingdom, there's a lot of work to do. Um, a lot of people who need to know the Lord, a lot of people who um, are still in the dark just like I was. Somebody chose to love me and tell me about Jesus. And I'm eternally grateful for that. So with that in mind, let's give to the work of the kingdom. We have a great opportunity next week on Lacey Day to talk with probably about 2,000 people. Let us glorify God and let, let us love one another because what, what was said in the scriptures, they'll know you are Christians by your what? Love. So let's pray. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the opportunities you give to us. I pray for those who are under the weather today, Gail and some others, uh, Father, who um, were not feeling well and unable to be here. We pray for healing. We pray, Father, that uh, uh, they would even be encouraged by what's said here and what's viewed on uh, Facebook, Father. I also ask, Father, that uh, you help us with the help of the Holy Spirit objectively examine our hearts about, first of all, our relationship with you, and second of all, our relationship with others. So, Father, we give to the work of the kingdom, bless the gift and the giver. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
can tell I'm in vacation mode because I forgot my notes. So um, next week, by the way, you'll be in the good hands of uh, Angel Madeira, uh, and he'll bring you the word. Uh, so you can look forward to that. Thank you. I'm assuming all of you here have been through some schooling. Is that correct? All right. Uh, how many of you liked quizzes and tests? Now, Chip's a big nose. Frank said yes. I can quiz you now. Why don't, why don't we like quizzes and tests? I happen to like them. But generally speaking, people don't. Why? And by the way, when I gave the final exam in the theological school um, last May or April, I guess it was, um, the students voted that I gave the hardest test. I don't know why. I thought it was easy. But um, that's one of the advantages of being a teacher, I guess. Uh, how many of you just didn't like taking tests? All right. I appreciate your honesty. Why was this so distasteful to you? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a time of accountability, right? It's a time of accountability. And our sin nature, by the way, repulses against accountability. It does. You know, we don't want to be held accountable. You know, who are you to tell me what to do? Uh, yeah. A test? What do you mean? Why do I need a test? You know what would happen without tests and deadlines? Nothing would ever get done. Isn't that true? Nothing would ever get done. Um, some years ago, as um, you know, I was I was getting the mail. Um, I got a uh, a notice from our friends at the IRS. And whenever you get something from the IRS, it's never good, all right? Hello, we're the government, we're here to help you. Baloney. And what uh, this was all about was, I was still uh, uh, going to school for my doctorate. I was near the end of it, as a matter of fact. And uh, the university, Bethel University, gave us the IRS form for student credit, which we were legitimately entitled to. And it's printed on their form. Well, I, I get a uh, letter from the, uh, my friends at the IRS, and they say, well, you're being audited. Um, you were disallowing your student credit. So I have a sharp accountant. He's great. He specializes in clergy uh, uh, compensation and procedures. And I called him and I said, you know, I'm getting audited. One of the reasons why I use this guy is because you don't put anything down on a tax return unless it's true. And I like that because I can put my head on the pillow at night and not worry. So he starts laughing. And he says, we filed a document. He says, I have the copy right in front of me. He says, let me write a letter. So he writes a letter. And of course, that didn't mean much. So I get another letter expecting to hear, oh, sorry, our mistake. Okay. No. 
you still owe the money. We, we, we're disallowing it, even though you filed the proper paperwork. I said, well, that's good. So I call the accountant back. He writes another letter. The follow-up I get is a subpoena to go to tax court, right? So I, uh, I email him the copy of the subpoena, and he calls me and says, let them take us to court. They're going to lose. Okay. I mean, I had nothing to hide. Um, and so he wrote a letter back saying, we'll be prepared. Uh, we did everything within uh, you know, the guidelines of IRS, and um, we'll gladly show up at tax court. Uh, tax court. A week later, I get another letter. Sorry, our mistake. We are now allowing your... Now, the credit on the tax, 50 bucks. 50 bucks. No, no, that was the credit I was allowed. 50 bucks. They must have spent $5,000 in order to, to do this. And, you know, I, hey, we need to be accountable. People don't like it, but we need to be accountable. And the reason why it didn't bother me all that much is simply because I knew we did everything right. We did everything right. Do you realize that even though we are born-again believers, we are accountable? We're accountable to God. We're accountable for what we do with the gospel. We're accountable for how we treat one another. We're accountable for all that we do. That's why Paul, in several places in the uh, New Testament, will say, whatever you do in word or deed, do it to the glory of God. If we have that mindset, it doesn't mean we're, we're, we're never going to make a mistake. But if we have that mindset, then everything we do, our relationships, our finances, our uh, marriages, our friendships, will take on a new priority. Because through the Holy Spirit, you and I can love the way God wants us to love other people. And you and I can love him in a deeper way. Let me tell you how accountability has gone down the tubes. Public school teachers in many districts are prohibited from using red pencil or red ink when they correct papers. It's intimidating. No, it's correction. It's correction. Now listen, nobody liked to get a paper full of red marks, right? By the way, when I was doing my dissertation for my doctorate, I, I told the, um, uh, one of the professors, you can't mark this up in, in red. I was kidding, right? He said, shut up and grow up. <laughs> and he's right. You know, he's right. We, we're not even open to correction anymore. And correction is part of accountability. We need sometimes to hear difficult things. Sometimes we need to 
objectively as we can step back and look at our relationships. Now you could, in New York City, go into stores and take up to $999.99 of merchandise and get away with it. And if the owner tries to stop you and lays his hands on you, the owner's going to get sued and, it, and criminally charged. We have it all backwards. We have it all backwards. And the reason why it's all backwards is because we've tossed out the only compass, the only moral compass we have, and that's the scriptures. We get rid of God, we get rid of the scriptures, and there's no more moral compass. So l let me start to read to you this section. I want you to pay particular attention to it. This is one of the few uh, eschatological or end-time passages that we know is definitely end times because it says so. I'm, o I'm okay with that, right? That's kind of clear. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will, seat, he will sit on his glorious throne. Well, that's the second coming, right? That's when he establishes his kingdom here on earth, physically, visibly, and takes the throne of David and establishes his rule. Notice he comes in his glory uh, and all the angels with him. Um, if, if the Lord allows me to be here when that happens, I'm just, I just want to turn on the television that day. I want to see how CNN and ABC and CBS and Fox and all the rest of the news outlets explain this, that every eye will see and every knee will bow because this will be a glorious return and they don't need television cameras to see it. You know, this happens without technology, if I could put it that way. So this is, how can I say this? This is judgment day, right? How do I know that? Well, let's go on. It says, all nations will be gathered before him. Before who? Before Christ. Before the King of kings and Lord of lords. He will separate the people from one another as a sheep, uh, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Okay? Now, sheep, you know, are, are kind of woolly and all. You know, goats look a little bit different, but they, they like to graze together. They like to be together. And it goes on to say that the glorified Christ, who came back again, will put the, sh uh, the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, there's some significance to that because sit at the right hand of the king is a position of power. It's a position that is given to us, not because of anything we did, because of everything that Christ did on the cross. Do you understand that? All right? And the goats are on his left, which is a place of judgment. Wow. You mean there's going to be a day of accountability? Absolutely. There will be a day of accountability. And this won't 
you won't get a letter from IRS saying it's here. You won't get a letter fr from anybody. But as I connect the dots in all the end times prophecy, this is going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And look at this. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are what? Blessed by the Father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. In other words, the sheep are the ones who were selected even before the creation of the world. Wow. That's pretty neat. The moment they receive Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, there is an inheritance reserved in heaven for them. Can you imagine? Notice it doesn't say, you know, receive your $100,000 or, you know, receive your, you know, your mansion, uh, uh, this house on earth. No. Take your inheritance. What's our inheritance? The kingdom prepared for us since the creation of the world. There is no finer inheritance. We didn't buy it. Jesus bought it with his blood for us. We didn't earn it. Jesus made it possible when he atoned for our sin on the cross. By the way, tomorrow is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is the highest Jewish holiday in which the Jews believe that by good works, and this comes once a year, by doing good deeds for others, that God will forgive their sin. Our atonement is Jesus Christ. Our atonement occurred 2,000 years ago on the cross. That's where our inheritance was sealed, our residence was guaranteed, and that's what will happen when the King of Kings comes back again. What's part of the, the kingdom prepared for you? Well, Jesus said, I go and prepare what? A place for you. You don't have to come up with any money. You don't have to come up with anything. Everything's going to be prepared for you by the grace of the king because he loves you. He loves me. This, has to, this will be upsetting news for the goats, right? The sheep get everything. The goats get nothing. But it's their own fault. It's their own fault, right? Listen to what Jesus says. For I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes, and you, you clothed me. I was sick, and you, took after, you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. You, you get the relationships here, okay? And then the, uh, then the righteous will answer him. In other words, those who have embraced Christ, who are born again, they'll say this, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you something to drink. Now, I want you to follow this, right? He says, when, 
when did we see you, a stranger, and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When we did see, when did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Whoa. That ought to change the way we treat each other, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it? Well, I can understand the confusion here. Uh, and, you know, they're saying, Lord, but we didn't literally see you thirsting or hungry. Yeah. And he says, no, no, you're missing the point here. The point is, when you help your fellow man, that's not politically correct. When you help your fellow person, you're doing it as if it were me. I want to give you the standard of the accountability here. It's very simple. It's the great commandment. It's very simple. When I say simple, it is simple. However, we're not very good at it many times. We need to confess that and repent, repent of it. You know what the great commandment is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your might, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Those two commandments, if you will, sum up the whole Ten Commandments. Those two commandments sum up grace. And yet we have difficulty with it, don't we? But we have to come in repentance because all of us have been guilty one time of not treating our fellow man, woman, the way we ought to. So this is, you know, this is the time of the final accounting, right? And then he will say to those on the left, the goats, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Can you imagine hearing those words? Depart from me. Now, I found in my life's experience and actually through my studies uh, that when people are held accountable and they don't want to be held accountable, they become very defensive. Um, we've all been there, you know. We we get defensive. Well, gee, I would have I would have done it if somebody had told me. Or, well, King, it's your fault. You never told me this. Or. What makes Someone else better than me, King. It's not a question of being better. It's a question of who you follow. I was hungry. You gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. 
This is a picture of people who know, knew the needs and didn't do anything about them. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They, they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or needing clothes? This is the excuses now, right? But Lord, we never saw you like that. And the point Jesus is making here is if you knew me, if you embraced me by faith because I love you, you would have recognized the need of other people. He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. This is tough stuff, right? How many times do you see people getting beat up on the streets and a crowd forms around them does nothing? How many times have you passed by someone in, in legitimate need and were afraid to get involved? Part of that is because we live in a sterile culture now. You know, let somebody else do it. Yeah? The town will take care of them. The state will take care of them. Um, the federal government will, will take care of them. No, listen. I want you to know something that nobody ever talks about. Before the government intervened, unnecessarily I might add, um, by implementing the welfare system and, and all of that, the churches were doing it. And they were doing a better job than the government. It, it pays to be a student of history because when you look back, the church is going to be held account accountable because we've abdicated what we need to do to the authorities, not to the king, but to the, to the government authorities. Shame on us. We're just as guilty of the parents who let the schools raise and indoctrinate their kids. We need to be held accountable for that. Now listen, we get calls all the time for help, and we help where we legitimate, we can verify the need. And that's okay, you know, we can do that. But there's something lacking here in the way we treat one another. There's something lacking um, in, 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 I'll put it this way, our system is sick. It's sick. After um, Sandy hit, we were bringing uh, pizza down into Forked River Beach area and other areas that were uh, inundated by the flood. Uh, and several people said to us, and this was probably th three, four days after the storm, they said we were expecting the Red Cross we were expecting you know, some other organizations. Nobody showed up. If it were not for the churches, we would not be here. 
And then you know who stopped us? The Board of Health. The Board of Health stopped us. We don't have the right facilities. Well, excuse me, we were going to keep doing it. You know, they stopped us from doing something they should have been doing. And they stopped us from, from giving food out. And we just refused to stop. So we actually partnered with the Methodist Church and brought food over there. And they got a little reprimanded from the Board of Health, too. Okay, yell at me. But we've come to this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your might. And love your neighbor as yourself. Well, pastor, will we get taken advantage of? Absolutely. You know why? Because love is risky. You love people. Sometimes they respond. Sometimes they, they don't. But that's not why you love people. You love people because they were made in the image of God. Period. And when we do something, we do something without expectation of return. We're going to be judged by the great commandment. Let me finish this out. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. We really need to step back and, and look at this because there'll be a day where we're, you know, a lot of churches will, will say, you know, the Christians, the Christian is not going to have to answer for anything. That's not true. The Christian won't be judged for sin. That we know. Because it's, it's all be for, been forgiven at the cross. We will be judged for what we do with the gospel, for how we treat others. We will be judged for that. Well, now, what does that mean? That can mean anything from losing any reward we would get in heaven, all right? Or it can mean, we're, it, it definitely means that we're going to rob ourselves of a blessing and ro uh, rob others of a blessing when we can legitimately help them and bless them. You know, there's a commercial on television. Um, you know, these things break my heart. Uh, uh, St. Jude's Hospital, right? The cancer uh, kids, if I can put it that way. Um, uh, the other one with Alex. What's the other one with Alex? Uh, Shriners. Uh, Shriners Hospital, right? I, I see the commercial, the Jewish Christian Foundation um, helping uh, Jews who have been through the Holocaust who are living in, in poverty. Now, you know, me, I, you know, I, 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 I do what I can. But the point is, we can't do everything. We know that. We're all limited to some extent. We, you know, but we can do one thing. And when we do one thing, somebody else can come along and do another thing. That doesn't mean we, you know, we're all going to take care of every need for every person. But it does mean when we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, he will point out to us people who need to be loved and who need to be helped. 
and it's then we need to be obedient and help help to do whatever we can. You all know when I was a senior in high school, my parents both died six weeks apart. And I remember that first Christmas. Um, I I volunteered for ambulance duty. I was I was on the ambulance squad up up in Rutherford on Christmas Eve because I figured, you know, what else am I going to do? And there was a church across the street from where the ambulances were, and um, they had their Christmas Eve service. And I couldn't go inside because I, then I couldn't hear the alarm. But I sat on the front steps of the church, listening to the carols, listening to the music, which probably was the best thing for me at that time. Because I, I wasn't born again. That, you know, I was just looking for someone. And then one of the members in the squad came up to me and said, look, we're having a big gathering at my house. Why don't you come along? Wow. You know, you know how much that meant? To have somebody, you know, say, hey, they knew I was hurting. You know, come on, come along. More than that, God knew I was hurting. And so eight years later, when I heard the gospel and Mary Lou and I uh, came to know the Lord, one of the things that, that hit me between the eyes was that I had a father again. There's uh, something about being in the family of God through faith in, in Christ. But we don't want to monopolize the kingdom of God. The kingdom is spread just like it was spread to us through love through recognizing that there are people hurting all around us, to recognizing, as a song would say, people need the Lord. And when the Spirit is prompting us to help, prompting us to be compassionate, prompting us to speak and show the love of Christ to others, then we need to obey. There's a lot of need out there. There's a lot of need in here. But there's a lot of need outside these doors also. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your might. And love your neighbor as itself. Listen. The first question I have to ask is really the title of the message. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ by faith? That's where it starts, right? If you don't, make sure you do today. Just come to him and say, Lord, I'm a rebel. I'm a sinner against you. Lord, I, I know you went to the cross in my place to atone <laughs> for, those, for my sin. You took the punishment I deserve. Lord, I want to trust you as my Lord and Savior. Second, are we loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, might, and loving our neighbor as ourselves? Third, are we aware of people's needs 
around us and are we responsible when the spirit prods us to help with that need? Are we resolved to do anything for other people without any expectation of return? These are questions we, we really need to ask. I'm going to leave you with this thought, and then I'll see you a week from tomorrow. Uh, my thought is this. If the church were doing what it was formed to do, empowered to do, and commanded to do, we wouldn't need a welfare system. We wouldn't need, need all the government programs. Do you realize that schooling began in the church? Historically, that's where school started. Do you realize universities start, started in the churches? Do you realize that people cared enough to share the gospel with other people? There may be a day, I don't know, but there may be a day that's coming where if we say anything about the gospel outside of these walls, we may get in trouble. I don't care. <laughs> I really don't care. All I know is what the king commands us to do, and that is to go into our world, make disciples, teaching them all that Jesus has taught us, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm already hearing panic about the resurgence of COVID. We will not close again, even if we're mandated to close. We will not do it. You're all big boys and girls. You can decide on your own whether you would want to be in a crowd or not. But as long as I'm here, every Sunday there'll be a worship service here. That's part of how we love people. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and might. And love your neighbor as yourself. As we close the service out, um, I chose the song, You Are Holy. You notice we did Holy, Holy, Holy today and um, cornerstone, everlasting God. And the reason why I, I am uh, I incorporate these songs very simple. If we don't respect the authority of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, we're not going to respect any authority. Just look around you. God means what He says. Don't believe the lie of Satan that started in the garden. Does God really mean what he says? You're telling me if you eat from that tree, you're going to die? I don't think God meant that. If there's anything you take away from this message today, take away this. God means every word he says. Lord, help us. Help us to love better. Help us to fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ. And help us 
to love those who are lost. I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. Just to uh, continue on the theme of the holiness, uh, Jesus, because he's holy, has the right to hold us accountable. In fact, when we sing holy, 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 uh, that title uh, came from the Hebrew, because in, in, in parts of the Old Testament and the Greek and the New Testament, the word for holy in Hebrew is kadosh. And when it's repeated three times, that means you can't get any holier. That's perfect holiness. That's why I picked that song. And now we're going to look at the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, and Lord of Lords, and tell him how holy he is. Would you stand, please? You are holy. You are holy. You are mighty. You are mighty. You are worthy. You are worthy. Worthy of praise. Worthy of praise. I will follow. I will follow. I will listen. I will listen. I will love you. I will love you. All of my days. All of my days. You are Lord of Lords. Redeemer 
We have a great God. Amen. We have a God who saves the unlovable as long as we come to him in repentance and faith. We have a God who's our protector, who is our strong tower, who is the one who is victorious in Christ. Because Christ won the victory for all of us at the cross. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I just pray as we leave today that you would help each of us to love better, to serve one another for your glory, for your honor. And Father, we'll be careful to give you all the thanks. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said? Amen. Hey, not bad. Um, Have a, a great week. We'll see you a week from tomorrow. Enjoy Angel next week. Make him work, okay? God bless you.